back. And guess who's back with us? Me. You. You're back. I'm back again. I know. Yes, Amy is still, uh, Amy's still got a few things going on, so you were so nice you sat in for her again. I did. And I appreciate that quite a bit. You're welcome. My mouth is on fire still. You're such a wussy. I know. We, here in the Central Valley, we have a lot of, uh, tacos are very popular and they're very good. And we have a lot of taco trucks, so we uh, stopped and got some tacos before we started recording. And it's just this—it's a not—it's not a warm sauce, but weef, oofs. This is weird recording at night. We can do it during the day. No, no, no. It's just that you know, every time we've recorded, other times it's been during the day, and now it's like whatever, six thirty at night on a Saturday, and it just doesn't—it feels weird. Is there anything you want to talk about before we get started? There is not. Nothing? No. Wow. All right. I mean, I can make up gibberish. I'm always fine with that. <laughs> You're the king of gibberish. But there's nothing pressing that I want to talk about. All right. Well, why don't we start uh, with a prayer? Would you like to say the prayer? No, I think I'll leave that to you. You do much better prayers than I do. Well, there's. I think you could do a fine prayer. Maybe next time. Lord, thank you for for letting us gather and spread your word. Lord, please watch over Amy and and her family and and everyone else who is struggling with health or or issues or or anything of that nature. Please just watch over everyone. Lord, thank you for everything that that you've given us. Thank you for the, the food on our tables. Thank you for the roof over our heads. Thank you for our families. Lord, please guide us every day. Let us be more like you. Let us glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we have started a new book. We are in 1 Samuel. We are going to be going over Samuel chapters 1 through 3. And uh, let's do a recap of Ruth chapters 1 through 4 because we we busted out the entire book of Ruth uh, in one shot. Uh, So, recapping, Naomi and her husband Elimelech had two sons. They married uh, Ruth and Orpah, and soon after, Elimelech and her two sons died. Orpah went back to her home, but Ruth stayed with Naomi and accepted God as her God because she was a Moabite. Naomi told Ruth to glean in Boaz's fields. He knew who she was and treated her well. And Boaz eventually became Ruth's family redeemer. They married and had a son named Obed. And then from the from our notes, um, it had said the events recorded in Ruth were part of God's preparations for the births of David and of Jesus, the promised Messiah. And, you know, we always have to keep in mind that all, all of this is leading up to the birth of Jesus and then, uh, he, you know, his, his life and his death and then his resurrection. Okay, so uh, getting into 1 Samuel, let's talk about it for a sec. It's the ninth book in the Old Testament. It was written in 900 BC and covers 1150 BC through 1000 BC. It was written by Samuel, Nathan, Gad, and an unknown scribe who served as a compiler. In the Bible, there's a little overview in our notes for 1 Samuel. 
Israel has been ruled by judges for around 300 years. Samuel was the last of those judges. I can't believe, you know, you think about it, that's a long time, 300 years. It is. I think I brought this up last time or the time before, but, you know, you're reading through this and it doesn't seem like that long of a time span. But that's that's quite a long time. Longer, it's, you know, United States, longer than we've been around. That's a good point. Yeah, that is a good point. Put it into perspective. Yeah. Samuel grew up in the tabernacle as a priest in training under Eli and was well qualified to serve Israel as both a priest and a judge. Although the nation had fallen away from God, it is clear that God is preparing Samuel from the very beginning to lead the nation back to right living. God is always in control. He is able to bring his people back to him. Okay, any thoughts on that? No. Okay, so chapter 1, we are introduced to a man named Elkanah who had two wives named Hannah and Penina. Penina would make fun of Hannah because she didn't have any children, but she did. Penina did. But Elkanah still loved her, and this taunting went on for years. Penina, Penina, she was a little sassy. Okay. No, what were you going to say? Oh, say that again. So she she, she was made fun of for not having children, made... but she actually did have children? No, no, no. Pen, Penina had children. Oh, Penina had children. Yeah, but and she was making fun of Hannah. She was giving her... For not having had them. Right. Because that was a big thing back then. Like, And we'll go over it in the notes later. They bring it up. But if you didn't have any children, or if you weren't married, or, you know, if there were certain things that you just didn't have as a woman, you were really regarded as, as nothing. Low. Yeah, you were really low on the totem pole. And that was that was horrible for her to, ma- to make fun of Hannah. Yep. I wonder, um, and this isn't, this, this isn't a knock, I'm not trying to be sassy here, but I wonder if anyone ever thought maybe it's an issue with the man that no, <laughs> I don't think so. You don't think that ever no, was no, ever brought no, up? No, 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 not from me, because I'm a man. I just think, back, especially back then, not having medical science right. to test like they do now for infertility. And with the, it, maybe the man is the issue, not the woman. Like that wasn't even in anyone's no, heads. It was I just don't like so. men... This is the way it is. Men do this, and it it's... I, that's just my... No, I think you're probably Hypothesis. right. I think you're probably right. I think it was the woman that was blamed for yeah. not being able to have children. Sure, and I think you're probably right. And you don't, you know, I don't, I don't even know if they had issues like that back then. If God even like had that in, in the plan back then. Yeah. Um, okay, so would, let's see. Would you mind reading the note for First uh, Samuel chapter one verse two? Although many great Old Testament leaders, such as Abraham, Jacob, and David, had more than one wife, this was not God's original intention for marriage. Genesis 2.24 states that in marriage, two people become one flesh. When did polygamy exist among God's people? First, it was to produce more offspring to help in a man's work and to assure continuation of a man's family line. Numerous children were a symbol of status and wealth. Second, in societies where many young men were, were killed in battle, polygamy became an accepted way of supporting women who otherwise would have remained unmarried and very likely destitute. 
Nevertheless, polygamy often caused serious family problems, as we see in the story of Hannah and Penina. It must have caused all sorts of problems. Yeah, I never considered the death of young men in battle. Yes. And having an, an, an imbalance of women to men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After, after I read that note for the first time, I was like, that does make sense. Yeah. One of the other notes, uh, and this <clears throat> is regarding uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6. Hannah had been unable to conceive children, and in Old Testament times, a childless woman was considered a failure. Her barrenness was a social embarrassment for her husband. Children were a very important part of the society's economic structure. They were a source of labor for the family, and it was their duty to care for their parents in their old age. If a wife could not bear children, she was often obligated by ancient Middle Eastern custom to give one of her servant girls to her husband to bear children for her. Although Elkanah could have left Hannah, a husband was permitted to divorce a barren wife. He remained lovingly devoted to her despite social criticism and his rights under civil law. Well, that's sweet. I mean, he stayed with her. He loved her. Yeah. Would you mind reading the note for uh, verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7? Part of God's plan for Hannah involved postponing her years of childbearing. While Penina and Elkanah looked at at Hannah's outward circumstances, God was moving ahead with his plan. Think of those in your world who are struggling with God's timing in answering their prayers and who need your love and help. By supporting those who are struggling, you may help them remain steadfast in their faith and confident in his timing to bring fulfillment to their lives. No comment? No. Just what people perceive as unanswered prayers may just be prayers that are not answered for a while. Um, finally, uh, in this section, Hannah knew her husband loved her, but his encour- even his encouragement could not comfort her. She could not keep from listening to Penina's jeers and letting their words erode her self-confidence although we cannot keep others from unjustly criticizing us we can choose how we will respond to their hurtful words rather than dwelling upon our problems we can enjoy the loving relationships god has given us by doing so we can exchange self-pity for hope that's definitely true in in this day and age huh yeah i mean you can only control what you can control I mean, people are going to say what what they want. I mean... You can't control the acts of others. No, you can't. You're always going to hear hurtful things. Yeah. And it's all in how you respond to it. Mm Mm-hmm. And unless you have just chosen to cut yourself off from society 100%, you are going to get criticized or, you know put down or something sure that's just kind of part of life unfortunately but it makes us stronger it makes us stronger prepares us for the road ahead yeah okay so moving on so while in shiloh at the tabernacle hannah started to pray would you mind reading first uh, samuel chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 hannah was in deep anguish crying bitterly as she prayed to the lord and she made this vow O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, 
his hair will never be cut. And Eli the priest, he was very concerned for Hannah because he was he was watching her pray and told her in First uh, Samuel chapter 1, verse 17, in part, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Hannah was very appreciative and no longer sad. And in the note for uh, verse 10, Hannah had good reason to feel discouraged and bitter. She was unable to bear children. She shared her husband with a woman who ridiculed her. Uh, Her loving husband could not solve her problem. And even the high priest misunderstood her motives. Well, that would be very, that's very frustrating. Sure. Uh, But instead of retaliating or giving up hope, Hannah prayed. She brought her problem honestly before God. Each of us may face times of barrenness when nothing comes to birth in our work, service, or relationships. It is difficult to pray in faith when we feel so ineffective. But as Hannah discovered, prayer opens the way for God to work. Now, in as we've mentioned, we have in our Bible little inserts, like um, inserts about different people in the Bible. And this one was uh, regarding Elkanah and Peninnah. It said, The glimpse God gives us of that tense household provides a helpful backdrop for God's purposes which are not thwarted by human shortcomings. He worked within the strain and stress of those relationships to bring Samuel into the world, one of the most significant figures in the Old Testament. When our relational systems seem too gnarled to be unraveled or salvaged, we need to remember that God is able to bring order and beauty out of even the biggest messes. So uh, shortly after, Hannah became pregnant. And gave birth to Samuel. She chose to finish nursing Samuel before making another trip to the tabernacle at Shiloh. At that point, she would leave him with the priest Eli uh, so Samuel could assist him. And would you mind reading uh, verses 26 through 28, please? Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy. And he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will be and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshipped the Lord there. Mm-hmm. So she just handed her kid over to the church. She did. She did. She made that promise to God. You know, she was praying at the tabernacle. Please, Lord. And, and he did. He provided. And she stuck with that promise. Hmm. That's something. Oh, it is. That's something. Um, this first note addresses that. To do what she promised, Hannah gave up what she wanted most, her son, and presented him to Eli to serve in the house of the Lord. In dedicating her only son to God, Hannah was dedicating her entire life and future to God. Because Samuel's life was from God, Hannah was not really giving him up. Rather, she was returning him to God, who had given Samuel to Hannah in the first place. I just wonder if it was difficult, if it was difficult at all, or if it, if it, she was 100% God gave this son, but it's... She was elated to give him back? Yeah, she was... She was oh boy, we'll never know that. I mean, it's fun to talk about, though. I yeah. just wonder. Just as a mother... Well, to have that separation. I think a lot of people, I believe a lot of people make prayers and bargains mm-hmm. in their prayers. Sure. 
and they shouldn't. And, you know, God, if you do this for me, I promise I'll stop doing this. Mm -hmm. And then they don't follow through with their end of it. That's not dissimilar from what she did, except she followed through with her end of it. Yeah. It is all too easy to be to say something like that in prayer. It is. And oftentimes, if, oftentimes the people, I think, mean it. Yeah. But when it comes time to ante up, it's not there. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can only imagine that God give me a son and I'll dedicate him to you, that you keep the kid. Sure. And without malintent, per se. Yeah. Uh, just because you love your child. And whatever it may be, whatever struggles you may be having, if it's substance abuse, you know, take this away from me and I promise I'll never do this again or do that again. And you find your way through that through that muddle, that mess, and you don't live up to whatever bargain it is you may have made in your prayers. Mm-hmm. You continue about doing those things that you said you'd stop doing. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. That's a tough one. I have a hard time imagining she was, and she may well have been, but I have a hard time imagining she was just like, oh boy, deal. I got the I got the kid. Here you go. Thank you. I yes. I don't see that. Yeah. I, but maybe in fact she was just that. But uh, tight tight with the Lord and convinced that you know her prayer was. I don't like to use the word bargain. But that was the prayer, and that was her promise, and her living up to it was her was joyful to her. That's what I I I kind of think that too, because nowhere in in the verses in the Bible verses, like not us trying to put stuff in there, but in the actual verses, it never says that she was distraught or you know sad. Uh, she seemed to be like. He's going to serve God. This is the way it's going to be. Yeah. Samuel, we're still continuing in the notes. Samuel was probably three years old, the customary age for weaning when his mother left him at the tabernacle. By saying, I'm giving him to the Lord, Hannah meant that she was dedicating Samuel to God for lifetime service. She did not, of course, forget her much wanted son. She visited him regularly, and each year she brought him a robe just like Eli's. Uh, Samuel assisted Eli the priest. In this role, Samuel's responsibilities would have included opening the tabernacle doors each morning, cleaning the furniture, and sweeping the floors. As he grew older, Samuel would have assisted Eli in offering sacrifices. The fact that he was wearing a linen garment, like the one, like the clothing worn only by priests, shows that he was a priest in training. Because Samuel was Eli's helper, he was God's helper too. When you serve others, even in carrying out ordinary tasks, you are serving God. Because ultimately, we are serving God. Every job we do for his glory has dignity. Now, do you have any notes? or, or Not any notes. Do you have any uh, anything else for chapter 1? Anything we've gone over? No. Okay. So, moving on to <clears throat> chapter 2. Now, the first part of chapter 2 is, is titled in, in our Bible, Hannah's Prayer of Praise. And it was spoken while at Shiloh. And I thought we would just read the entire uh, prayer because I think it's really nice. Would you want to read the whole thing or do you want to split it up? Hannah's prayer of praise? Yeah. It's Mm. verses 1 through 10. 1 through, I, I think I can handle that. Okay. Then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. 
There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you have done. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumbled are now strong. Those who were well fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will despair in darkness. No one will succeed by, no one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges through the earth. He gives power to his king. He increases the strength of the anointed one. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And then uh, in one of the inserts in the Bible, it says, Hannah's prayer shows us that all we have and receive is on loan from God. Hannah might have had many excuses for being a possessive mother, but when God answered her prayer, she followed through on her promise to dedicate Samuel to God's service. Now, uh, one of the notes we have for uh, verses 1 through 10, Hannah praised God for his answer to her prayer for a son. The theme of her poetic prayer is her confidence in God's sovereignty and her thankfulness for everything he had done. We should be confident of God's ultimate control over the events in our lives and thankful for the ways he has blessed us. By praising God for all good gifts, we acknowledge his ultimate control over the, all the affairs of life. Okay, so a couple more notes on Hannah's prayer of praise. Hannah praised God for being a rock, firm, strong, and unchanging. In our fast-paced world, friends can come and go and circumstances change. It's difficult to find a solid foundation that will not change. Those who devote their lives to achievements, causes, or possessions have as their security that which is finite and changeable. The possessions that we work so hard to obtain will all pass away. But God is always present. Hope in him. He will never fail. You can't take it with you. No, you can't. We still live in a time where, you know, possessions and things and... Oh, materialistic wants. Yeah. They're still big. Oh, yeah. For sure. That's the way the world is. That's the way the modern world is. Yeah. And therein lies the other the adage of, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. You can have those materialistic things and the, your neighbor thinks, well, they, he must, he or she must be successful and have everything going perfectly in their life when they may be struggling with other issues that are just not seen. You could see whoever... And think, boy, oh boy, that person has everything put together. When in reality, something's going on. That's just everybody. Everybody's got something going on. Everybody does. In some level, some capacity. Yeah. Whether it's with themselves, the family member, the situations of their life, just in some way, fashion, or form, it's always, no one's life is perfect. No. And that's why... um, be kind 
to each other, be loving toward each other, because you don't know what someone else is going through. No, the golden rule. And I know, and listen, I have not done that all the time. I'm not saying I'm perfect at that, but I'm trying to get a lot better at that. Well, that's what you can do is try harder each day to be more and more. You know, like, sometimes it's very difficult, but you, you don't know what someone's going through. Nope, you don't. The, um, the last note that, I, that we had here, because we live in a world where evil abounds and where war and terrorism always threaten, we may also forget that God is in control. Hannah saw God as one, a solid rock, two, the one who knows what we do, three, sovereign over all the affairs of people, four, the supreme judge who administers perfect justice. Remembering God's sovereign control helps us put both world and personal events in perspective. Anything else about Hannah's prayer? No. Okay, so we'll move on then in chapter 2. We learn about Eli's sons, who were also priests. Now, would you mind reading the note for uh, chapter 2, verse 12? The law stipulated that the needs of all the Levites were to be met through the people's tithes. Because Eli's sons were priests, they were to be taken care of this way. But Eli's sons took advantage of their position to satisfy their lust for power, possessions, and control. Their contempt and arrogance toward both people and worship undermined the integrity of the whole priesthood. Eli knew that his sons were evil, but he did little to correct or stop them, even when the integrity of God's sanctuary was threatened. As the high priest, Eli would have responded by executing his sons. No wonder he chose not to confront the situation. But by ignoring their selfish actions, Eli let his sons ruin their own lives and the lives of many others. There are times when serious problems must be confronted, even if the process and consequences could be painful. All right, so in the notes, what were Eli's sons doing wrong? They were taking parts of the sacrifices before they were offered to God on the altar. They were also eating meat before the fat was burned off. This was against God's laws. In effect, Eli's sons were treating God's offerings with contempt. Offerings were given to show honor and respect to God while seeking forgiveness for sins. But through their irreverence, Eli's sons were actually sinning while making the offerings. To add to their sins, they were also sleeping with the women who served there. Uh, would you please read the note it for, cha- uh, for verse 21, please? God honored the desires of faithful Hannah. We never hear about Penina or her children again. But Samuel was used mightily by God. God also gave Hannah five children in addition to Samuel. God often blesses us in ways we do not expect. Hannah never expected to have a child at her age, much less six children. Don't resent God's timing. His blessings might not be immediate, but they will come if we are faithful to do what he says in his word. Mm. Yeah, so that whole situation we never hear about again. And then um, the other note for there, does a loving God really will or want to put people to death? Consider the situation in the tabernacle. A person made an offering in order to have his sins forgiven, and Eli's sons stole the offering and made a sham of the person's repentant attitude. God, in his love for Israel, could not permit this situation to continue. 
he allowed Eli's sons to die as a result of their own boastful presumption. They took the ark into battle, thinking it would protect them, but God withdrew his protection, and the wicked sons of Eli were killed. That's a little spoiler alert. We haven't gotten to that part yet. So the Lord, he wasn't happy with Eli and his lack of discipline toward his sons. And he told Eli in uh, chapter 2, verses 31 and 32. Would you like to read that? The time is coming when I will put an end to your family. So it will no longer serve as my priests. All the members of your family will die before their time. None will reach old age. You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel. But no members of your family will ever live out their days. So you just straight out told them. So even though the ark, they took the ark into battle, the ark of the covenant? Yeah. I mean, we're going to get to that part. We haven't gotten to it yet. For verse 29, Eli had a difficult time rearing his sons. He apparently did not take any strong disciplinary action with them when he became aware of their wrongdoing. But Eli was not just a father trying to handle his rebellious sons. He was the high priest ignoring the sins of priests under his jurisdiction. As a result, the Lord took the necessary disciplinary action that Eli would not. Eli was guilty of honoring his sons above God by letting them continue in their sinful ways. So he should have taken Eli as well, or did he? Well, Because Eli was turning his head. Yeah, but maybe Samuel needed to learn from Eli. Yeah, to turn a, to turn a blind eye like that. Yeah. Because he had, in that situation... He had to act as high priest first and not their, his father, as the father of those boys. Yeah. Uh, so the Lord let Eli know once his offspring you know, are dealt with, he will raise up a faithful priest who will serve him and do what he desires. And that was uh, in part verse 35. Well, maybe he was rather in God do that than he do it himself. Yeah, maybe he just couldn't do it. Yeah. Because I'm sure he saw what was going on. Well, it says he did, didn't it? Oh, did he? Yeah. Yet didn't do anything. So Because he... he knew that the penalty was death. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. So rather than be the executioner, so to speak, yeah. he let God do the work. Well, that's possible. He we're not saying that's what happened. No, we're but, not. But I'm just bringing, bringing it about as an idea. Yeah. You know, I can't do it. Someone stronger than me has to. As a father, I mean, that's a strong possibility. Yeah. Um, okay, so anything else for chapter 2? No. All right, moving on to chapter 3. In First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. The Lord spoke to Samuel, letting him know the punishment for Eli and his family was coming soon. And the next morning, Eli was just really curious. He's like, tell me everything that, that the Lord told you. And if you would please read verses 318 through 4-1, please. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. It is the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks best. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him. And everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. And all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh 
and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. And Samuel's word went out to all the people of Israel. And Eli accepted it. If that it's Samuel was legit, legit? Well, yes, that, but also if, if it's the Lord's will to take my sons, then that's what, that's what will be. Well, as the high priest... Yeah, the Lord was speaking to Samuel, and, and Samuel didn't know, you know, what it was at first. He thought Eli was speaking to him, because it was late. And so he kept going to Eli, saying, well, you know, what, what, what do you want? And, and he was like, no. And then finally Eli figured out that it was the Lord speaking to Samuel. Hmm. And, but, you know, Eli couldn't, couldn't listen in, so. All right. That's when, that's when the Lord started speaking to uh, Samuel. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, in the notes, although God had spoken directly and audibly with Moses and Joshua, his word became rare during the three centuries of rule by judges. By Eli's time, no prophets were speaking God's messages to Israel. Why? Look at the attitude of Eli's sons. They either refused to listen to God or allowed greed to get in the way of any communication with him. Listening and responding is vital in a relationship with God. Although God does not always use the sound of a human voice, he always speaks clearly through his word. To receive his messages, we must be ready to listen and to act upon what he tells us. Like Samuel, be ready to say, here I am, when God calls you to action. And that's important. Not only you have to be willing to listen. I think God does, you know, steer you in specific ways. I think he does guide you in specific ways. And you have to be mindful enough that that it's happening. Yeah, being mindful. And if he doesn't speak to you overtly, then it's, is it, is it what we perceive as instinct or gut reaction to do something? I think so. I think it's the Holy I think that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know? I think that's what your gut reaction is. Yeah, because oftentimes, and you know, I credit with my father with always telling me, but it's, uh, if your gut, despite logic, mm-hmm. if all the logic tells you that something is right or wrong, uh, let's use the example of right. If everything logically is there, but you're, you have a bad gut feeling about it, listen to your gut mm-hmm. because your gut, as he would put it, and I'm paraphrasing, but your your gut is going to lead you right 99 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Even if your mind is, you've calculated everything out and you know it's a no-brainer, mm-hmm. but you have a bad, whether you want to call it intuition or a gut feeling about it, listen to your gut. Yeah. Because when you go against your gut feeling, it's when it bites you. I, mean, I just, I think that's the Holy Spirit that's just letting you know, okay, it, something's not cool here. Yeah. And gives you, and, and alerts you. Yeah. I think that happens quite a bit. Yeah. Because you know when it happens. You can feel it. You feel it in your mind, can or your gut. You know they're kind of they kind of commingle, but you can you can be in a bad situation and you know you're in a bad situation, so both are in alignment. Your your brain and your gut. Mm-hmm. But other times, you know something's a no brainer, and you think it's a no brainer, and it all the logic lines up, but your gut's just telling you something's not right. Mm-hmm. You know, follow your gut, yeah. or as you said, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. And then the last note here, one would naturally expect an audible message from God to be given to the priest Eli and not to the child Samuel. Eli was older and more experienced, and he held the proper position. But God's chain of command is based on faith, not on age or position. In finding faithful followers, God may use the unexpected channels. 
Be prepared for the Lord to work at any place, at any time, and through anyone he chooses. I love that note. It's I, a nice one. It, it really is. Um, I was going to you said what I was thinking. You know, just because Eli held, excuse me, yeah, Eli, uh-huh. because he held the highest or higher position, and, uh, you know, he was older, but he wasn't worthy. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas Samuel was a, a true follower and believer, mm-hmm. albeit much younger, and but he was faithful. And so he chose to speak to Samuel. You know, it reminds me of, um, you know, when you were giving our, our younger boy a bath. Oh, you always saw angels. See, what what happened? Because I, tell me what happened. I don't want to taint the story. He'd be in the bathtub and he'd, all of a sudden, be, he'd look up in the corner and he'd be, I saw an angel. He did that more than once. Gosh. It happened on at least a few occasions. Yeah. Maybe more, but at least a few occasions. Wasn't there one time where he said, it's like, everything's going to be okay, Dad? Probably. Like, he would say stuff to you he, often. Profound things. And he was, he was two? Two, three at the top, yeah. at the most. Yeah. And he would say things that were just, and they'd come out of nowhere. It, it's really, well, you would tell me that, and I'm like, what? Yeah. No, I still remember that. I don't, I don't readily immediately remember him telling me everything would be okay, though that does sound like something he would have said. Yeah. But the him seeing angels... I remember that happening a few, at least a few times. And whether that happens to all babies, I don't know. He was he was in his own way, as is every child in their own way special. Yeah, you know the children are they're just so they're so innocent. Mm-hmm. They're so pure. They are. You know, just it, it makes you wonder what what it is that they see and hear. Yeah. And and repeat. And what we forget. Yeah. As we grow up, yeah, you know, you forget a lot of things mm. that, that you, as a child, you're, you're cognizant of, mm-hmm. but you don't remember as you grow older. Yeah, I just remember he was he was really young. He was very young. Yeah. Like you said, he was obviously speaking. He was one and a half, two and a half in that range. Yeah, but, but he, yeah, he was saying things that you're like, huh? And they came out of nowhere. Yeah. It wasn't anything we were talking about. It wasn't anything to do with anything. It'd be we'd be playing with bathtub toys and taking a bubble bath, and he all of a sudden he'd point and say, and "Smile," and you know, I said, "Dad, did you see that?" And I'm like, "What?" And there's an angel. Well, I saw an angel. And this was also a time when you know I wasn't I wasn't in a Bible study. No. I so he wouldn't have heard it from me. No. He would not have. Yeah. Where did he learn it? Right. That's that's the th- he wouldn't have just heard it in the house. No. I don't know. It's pretty amazing. No, I, I still I do remember that. Yeah. I, I I think about that sometimes. Yeah. So anything else for for Sam First Samuel chapters one through three? Because that's all I have. No. Other than your uh, what did you call it a uh, spoiler? Oh, for yeah. <clears throat> About, uh, and I see it here in the Israelites versus Philistines, mm-hmm. the notes, because I had always thought, you know, I, uh, this is going to sound really lame. No, there's no lame. There's... But from Indiana Jones, uh-huh. you know, with the Ark of the Covenant, uh-huh. that any who take it into battle will, will be uh, invincible. 
But clearly that wasn't the case, as Eli's bad kids took it into battle with them, and they were beaten, not just them, but their army, I'm, I'm assuming. I'm, gonna make the, I'm jumping here. But as I see the note here, that uh, the Philistines, the Ark was captured, and Eli's sons killed. Mm-hmm. So it's not true. Well, because what I believe happened was, because I don't specifically remember, but they were using it as, they were using the Ark as a weapon instead of what it was meant for because you worship God. Right. You don't worship the item. So you can't weaponize the ark. It's not like God's going <clears> to <throat> pop out of it. Well, no, I mean, I, I looked at it more, and maybe wrong, incorrectly so, but I looked at it more of as a weapon of, as a weapon of defense, not as an offensive weapon, you know, to defend and have God's protection. Mm-hmm. But all you need to do is, is pray. Is pray. Yeah. You just need to pray and have that faith. You don't specifically need the ark. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. That Those are things that, you know, we've read in the Bible so far as, you know, don't worship items. You know, you don't have, you don't worship, you know, the, the cross you wear or, or this or that. Just you know, just pray to God. So even the Ark of the Covenant in and of itself is just an item. Yes, I mean, it's like the most holy item, but... Still an item. It's still an item, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Okay, well, let's get into some information then. Our email is basicbiblestudy19 at gmail.com, facebook.com slash mybasicbiblestudy, the website, mybasicbiblestudy.com, and all the links you can find there, um, where you can find podcasts. You know, little things. Just little things. Next time. What's happening next time? Oh, my goodness. First Samuel, chapters 4 through 7. Wow. Yes. All right. Well, maybe you'll be back. I don't know. I don't mind. I enjoy it. So far, you have... Uh treated me kindly and I appreciate it. Well, it would be disrespectful to be rude. No one was ever disrespectful to me in Bible study. Well, they shouldn't be. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And that's why it was so amazing when I was in that Bible study for so many years. I I mean, to those ladies because those ladies were exceedingly well-versed. Well-versed, but you know, they had been in the church probably their whole lives. Sure. And here I come in, you know, and I was asking moronic questions to them, but no one was ever disrespectful or, or anything. They were like, oh, no, like, this is what happened, and here's where you can find, you know, the verses in the Bible. And Oh, they were good teachers. A, big time. Big time and a huge influence. Um, but, yeah, that's it. That's, that's all it. I have. I have no more questions. Okay. Well, we hope everyone has a blessed week, and don't you can always contact us if you have any prayer requests or questions or, or anything, and we will catch you next time. Yes, that would be lovely. <laughs>